Hello, and welcome to this Net Zero Investor podcast. I'm Monica Woodley, and today I'm talking with Noir Alsadi, who is the Chief Impact Officer at Scopecore Capital. And we're talking about the sometimes myopic focus that companies and investors have on just scope one and two emissions, and how this is a major hurdle on the road to net zero, and even a form of greenwashing. Noir, uh, really great to speak with you again. Uh, always a pleasure, Monica. Thanks. Well, why don't we um, we first start off by having you explain exactly what we mean by scope one, two, and three emissions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good place to start. I mean, we do talk a lot about these scopes, and I think it's always helpful to have a bit of a reminder of what do they uh, focus on. Basically, to put it in simple terms, scope one emissions are the direct emissions that are that, that emanate for uh, directly from the company. For example, from its factories or its buildings, or potentially vehicles that this uh, company own. All these emissions are called scope one. Scope two emissions they go a bit further, so you can think about these uh, emissions as uh, circles that expand in radius. radius. So the uh, scope two emissions are emissions that are indirectly tied to the company uh, operations, and they largely refer to the purchase of electricity. So if you're purchasing electricity from a source that uses fossil fuels, such as natural gas or coal, you're probably going to have uh, a higher percentage of scope two uh, emissions than somebody that purchases renewable energy. And then finally, you have scope three emissions that include everything else. One important thing to mention about scope three emissions um, is that they consist of 15 categories. So, and they do cover the spectrum of the supply chain. Uh, so, for example, if a company is buying from suppliers uh, across the world, the emissions of these suppliers uh, are included in this company's uh, scope three emissions. And if it's the products are being used and are, are are contributing to global emissions. Those emissions as well are considered scope three. So scope three emissions in actuality represent about 80% of corporate uh, GAG emissions uh, compared to uh, 20% or so to scope one and two. So when investors are talking about net zero targets or low carbon portfolios, what scopes are they targeting? Uh, I would say in the vast majority of cases, investors are focusing on scope one and, and two emissions. There are many reasons for that. The reason that usually put forward by uh, companies and by uh, asset managers, um, uh, the reason that they focus on scope one and scope two emissions is because these emissions are easier to track, easier to measure, easier to calculate. And therefore, uh, putting targets around these emissions makes sense from, uh, from that standpoint. But obviously, if you you're just focusing on 20% of your emissions, you're, uh, it's similar to uh, driving a car with uh, only 20% of your windshield open. You need, obviously, to look at the, at, at, at the larger uh, spectrum of emissions and go into the 15 categories of scope 3 emissions. But for the most part, this has not been the case. I mean, I can expand a little bit more about, about this dynamic around certain industries and why a focus on scope 1 and 2 emissions doesn't, uh, doesn't make sense. For example, if you look at the technology sector, um, the majority of emissions in the technology sector come from scope three, uh, yet a lot of ESG funds and climate-friendly funds are loaded with technology stocks because they only focus on scope one and two emissions. So what, what this does, it creates a 
potentially a misallocation of, of capital as well as a misallocation of impact when it comes to, to climate. So obviously, this has been an issue and continues to be an issue. There is a certain awareness that we need to move into scope 3 emissions, but we're still uh, far from getting there. Yeah, I really like your point on technology companies. Um, I recently wrote a report on the increasing use of data-intensive and therefore energy-intensive technologies like AI and how outsourcing data storage to the cloud or, or to data centers effectively hides these emissions. And, um, you know, found some stats that, you know, data centers can be half of the corporate carbon footprint for energy or, sorry, information-intensive companies. And the data centers are expected to consume 13% of the world's energy by 2030. So, um, you know, clearly those are, are admissions we should not be ignoring. Now, when we spoke before the podcast, um, you had mentioned the example of Tesco, uh, which is the UK's largest grocery chain, and its emissions reduction targets, which sound good on paper. Uh, but when you start to investigate, um, they seem a little, a little less ambitious. I think Tesco is a good example of, of the myopic focus on scope one and two emissions and how that ultimately could paint a wrong picture of what uh, companies are doing. Tesco in 2020 put an ambitious uh, target to uh, uh, reduce their direct emissions by uh, 60% by 2025 and 17% for their indirect emissions by 20, uh, 2030. I mean, at face value, this looks like a, an ambitious objective, but actually, if you look under the hood, you see that the direct emissions for which there is a clear target by uh, Tesco represent only 1.6% of their total footprint, which basically, this is, uh, I mean, it, it's basically a meaningless target when you're just targeting 1.6% of your emissions, whether it's 60% or 100% of these emissions. 98% of the uh, emissions of Tesco are not subject to a strict target, uh, even the indirect uh, emission part it's farther down the line. And, and obviously, as you go further into targeting your indirect emissions, um, there is, I mean, to kind of be fair in a sense, there is less control as you go further in targeting your emission. But that doesn't mean that you cannot, for example, restructure your supply chain in order to have a higher percentage of lower emission uh, products in order to work with more uh, climate aware uh, suppliers. Uh, the fact that something is hard doesn't mean that we have to put it aside. And I think Tesco is, is, is a good example of, uh, of companies putting ambitious targets that are actually not ambitious when you look under the hood. And, and that's, uh, that's obviously a, a problem across the industry. You come across portfolios, for example, that are uh, investment portfolios that have supposedly ambitious net zero targets. But again, when you look at the detail, you see that the majority of these emissions come from scope one and two emissions only. So what would you think would be a better approach to manage for carbon exposure and to navigate between the various scopes? I think the biggest mistake that this industry has done in terms of framing uh, or categorization is the creation of only three scopes, or at least speaking about the three scopes as if, as if they were equal in some sense. So we talk about scope one, scope two, and scope three. But as I mentioned just earlier in the introduction, scope three emissions uh, include 15 categories. Uh, so one way to look at this is to talk about 17 scopes of emissions rather than speaking about scope one and two only. And if you if you put it in these terms, you notice how futile it is to focus only on scope one and two. And talking about scope three categories, 
these emissions are very material for for a lot of industries. One of the issues we have is that we we believe that scope one and two and three emissions in a way are divided in an in a similar fashion across industries and sectors. But that's that's obviously that that's not the case. If you look at uh, a sector such as the capital goods products, ninety percent of GAG emissions in that uh, sector, which includes you know uh, companies like auto manufacturers or airplane manufacturers or or engines for both of these uh, transportation modes. 90% of the emissions in this sector come from scope 3, category 11 in particular. 90% of emissions. So basically... Everything else uh, doesn't matter because category 11, COP3, is 90% and that represents the, the use of sold products. So the, the, the emissions that are associated with these uh, sectors uh, come uh, predominantly from the use of their products. If you look at other sectors, for example such as the agricultural commodity sector, 63% of GHG emissions in this sector come from a single COP3 category. That's category one, purchase goods and, and, and services sector. And again, if you're putting targets in, in scope one and two for this sector, you're not being very ambitious because for the agricultural commodity sector, scope one and two emissions are only 7% of the total. And going back to the capital goods sector, scope one and two emissions are only 2% of the emissions in that sector. So that what investors need to do is they need to move away from putting blanket targets around scope one and two, and they need to target specific categories of emissions that are the most consequential for each sector within their portfolio. And likewise for companies, if a company is operating in a sector that is heavily weighted towards scope three, then this is really where they need to focus. That's where they need to find solutions. The fact that it is sometimes hard to measure scope three emissions or to collect data on scope three emissions does not in a way remove the responsibility from the investor or the corporate management or the board from finding ways to manage these emissions. The fact that they put this aside and they focus on emissions that are only a a small percentage or a small fraction of their emissions is neither an exercise that will have an environmental impact or climate impact that matters, neither it is a responsible risk management exercise if you're worrying about GAG emissions being a financial risk factors for companies and portfolios. Now, you mentioned, obviously, that a lot of people overlook scope three because the data is harder to get. Um, and, and this is, you know, a, a wider um, wider issue with, with ESG in general. But um, what, what do you think can really be done to address uh, the lack of reliable scope three data? Let me give you a number. Let me share with you a number, Monica, that I think that you'll find striking. Investors spend, on average, $35 billion a year on financial data but only $1 billion to potentially $2 billion a year on ESG data. So while we do hear a lot of investors complaining about the lack of data, the lack of information around a lot of sustainability criteria, we do see that they're not spending enough money to acquire this data uh, or collect it or analyze it. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you are not uh, investing sufficiently in data collection and data analytics and in human resources to manage this stream of sustainability data, and here's I'm talking about the total collection of sustainability issues, not even just climate data. So if you want to tackle these risks and these issues, you obviously need to invest. And I can give you an example in my own firm, Scope4 Capital, 
we needed to understand the relationship between 200 viable climate solutions that we have identified as solutions we wanted to focus in and invest in to have an impact on climate change. But what we did notice that there was actually no solution or no data point that allowed us to understand the relationship of uh, between these 200 climate solutions and the 50,000 or so public securities available to us. So here we have a, a large pool of public securities, about 50,000 securities available for us to invest our clients' money in. And we have 200 climate solutions that we want to focus in. And we do know that a lot of these companies do operate uh, or offer climate solutions that we have in our basket as, as impactful climate solutions. So in order to solve for that problem, we designed uh, an approach to link these companies to these solutions, and we contracted with the technology company to uh, help us go through these uh, this large data sets, and we have identified thousands of companies that uh, align with the criteria we're looking for. I'm, I'm, I'm using this example to say that the fact that a, a piece of information does not exist does not mean that companies, investors cannot find that information if they uh, work with the right partners, if they think creatively about how to link the information, the sustainability information they are seeking and their portfolios. Ultimately, a lot of these tools will become mainstream down the line. But at this stage, I do believe that investors that invest in data collection and invest in solutions that are potentially custom-made for themselves could have a, a great advantage over others who are just waiting for the data to be delivered to them on a platter. That's a good point. <laughs> Beyond what we've already discussed, um, what are some of the other downsides that you see from investors overly focusing on just scope one and scope two data? On that front, I'd like to cite a, a paper that I found really striking. It was a research paper published by the University of Michigan in 2019, and they looked at environmental policies and climate policies in particular that focus on direct GHG uh, emissions. So we do have jurisdictions around the world that pushes companies and corporations to reduce their direct GHG emissions. But with this paper noticed or observed is that as, as these policies become more stringent, a lot of companies push their direct emissions down their supply chain. So I'm going to give you an, a kind of practical example. If you are operating a factory and the emissions of this factory are, are, are too high and you don't want to invest in, in reducing these emissions, you can potentially sell it to a supplier and contract to buy whatever that factory is producing. And in that sense, that factory becomes a scope three factory. It's not a direct emission factory in your, in your case. And then you uh, continue to operate as you did before and, and the emission becomes somebody else's problem or potentially they offshore it some, somewhere else. So, and, and I'm using this example because if, if investors continue to focus only on scope one and scope two and, 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 and only focus on what is measurable, what is directly visible to them, they risk pushing emission, uh, emissions down the supply chain and push it uh, in, in, in structures and in jurisdictions where they will not be managed. So we obviously do need to look at the totality of scope one and two and three emissions and manage them accordingly. What I want to highlight here is that investors understand that some emissions are hard to measure, are hard to manage, 
but that does not mean that we should not try to uh, to address these emissions. Neither uh, we should be unclear about where they're coming from and how they are evolving. Visibility and transparency in, in this case is is very important. And and if I'm if just speaking from an investor standpoint. It is very important for me as an investor to understand the emission profile of my companies, uh, whether it's one or two or three, whether it's any of the categories within scope three, so I could uh, uh, allocate my capital in an informed way. So I think it's really critical, uh, both from an impact on climate standpoint and from a risk management standpoint, that uh, investors focus on all three uh, scopes. Okay. Um, now, I, I have to admit, I hadn't really thought about the uh, the name of your company, Scope 4 Capital, but I'm assuming that that refers to Scope 4 um, emissions, which we've not talked about. Um, what are those and uh, and why don't we hear very much about them? Oh, well, that's a good question. And I do get this question on, on occasion. The scope for emissions are are very interesting in, in in from my perspective, and not just my perspective. I'll explain why I think they're really critical. Companies are generally not required to report scope for emissions, and they are not really part of the discussion, but they are part of the solutions um, uh, to climate change. Uh, if you simply put, scope for emissions are voided or eliminated emissions through product use. So if you are making a product, producing a product, or offering a service that lowers the emissions of whatever activity was undertaken with a, with a legacy product, then you are reducing emissions. A practical example here, for example, if you are producing electric arc furnaces, which are used for steel making, and you were to sell those to a, a steel uh, maker that uses blast furnaces, then you are basically reducing emissions because electric arc furnaces tend to generate less CO2 emissions compared to blast furnaces, and therefore you are generating uh, scope for emissions. That voided impact, that that eliminated uh, percentage of emissions is basically scope for emissions for that particular, uh, particular product. One way to think of uh, scope for emissions is to think of them uh, as the any matter to scope one, two, and, th- and three emissions. Because as scope four emissions go higher, as voided emissions and reduced emissions go higher, scope one and two and three emissions go lower. It's an interesting way to think about climate uh, from that standpoint, because ultimately we do need to eliminate the totality of scope one and two and three emissions and even go negative in order to bring down the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. Now, having said all that, it is important when companies discuss scope for emissions, specifically scope for emissions associated with the product they are making or selling, that they don't omit their own scope one, two, and three emissions. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to produce a product that cuts the emission of another industry while your own emissions are rising more than the emission reduction that product that your product is is generating. So there is a balancing act there. Companies do need to uh, continue to manage their uh, scope one, two, and three emissions while uh, focusing and developing and deploying scope four emissions that will help decarbonize sectors of the economy and, and, and decarbonize uh, multiple industries across their client base. Wow, well, that's great. I I had no idea about the positive impact of of Scope 4, and now I see very much why you chose that as as your company name. Uh, Navarra, thank you once again for for joining us. Uh, Lots of interesting insights um, there, and I look forward to speaking with you again. And um, thank you all for listening.
Thank you, Monica. Always a pleasure and looking forward to speaking with you again uh, down the line.